listening to Miscarriage Stories with Arden Cartrett. All right. Um, Sunita, I wanted to thank you for being here. Um, I wanted to kind of start off our conversation with just having you introduce yourself um, as if anybody listening to this doesn't know who you are. Um, I think it's, it's funny whenever you reached out to me because I knew your name looked really familiar. And I was like, <laughs> hold on, this name has come across my desk before. And whenever I Googled you and saw that you wrote the miscarriage map, I was like, oh my gosh, I felt I felt a little bit like a celebrity moment of like somebody in the miscarriage space is reaching out to have a conversation with me. And I felt like that was so awesome. Um, so for anybody who maybe hasn't read the miscarriage map um, and doesn't know who you are, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and get and get to know a little bit more of your story. Well, you know, it's so funny too. My name may also look familiar because I don't know why I did this. It was like two years ago, a year ago, something like that, that I had reached out to you to like connect like this. And then for some reason I canceled and I don't know what it is, but I imagine we're going to like talk about it at some point today. Just a thing of, I don't know if I was quite ready to talk about something. And I was like, oh man, I committed. I can't step back. But I was like, eh, I need to step back. And Interesting. I, can again. I can reach out again. So then, of course, I, yeah. I did reach out again, which was so happy that you so graciously like, yeah, for sure. Let's connect. Yeah. Well, if it means anything, I didn't see your name and thought, oh, this is the girl who canceled on me. Um, no way. I think in this space, sometimes, you know, even if even if time passes, even if we feel like we're doing better, if we are comfortable sharing there are days that feel harder than others, yeah. or we can start to think like, hey, I don't think I'm ready for this. And so I think that's always a big thing when people reach out to me about sharing their story is they get nervous. They're like, what if I change my mind? And I remind everybody that you have every right to change your mind about sharing your story, whether it's on a podcast or with anybody in any day life. Um, so I'm glad that you reached out and that we were able to have this conversation. Yeah, I feel the same way. What a testament, like you're allowed to change your mind. And sometimes it can work out that you could still reach out and get yeah. have a meaningful conversation with someone. So yeah, sharing my story. Gosh, well, I'll just start with, I love hearing this podcast, by the way, I've been listening to it all week and just thinking about our conversation. So I'm going to start it where I love when people start it, just the beginning of their journey, what it was like for me. So our journey started in 2018, where my husband and I decided that we were ready to start having kids. and. We had just moved back to Houston, Texas, which is where I'm originally from. We had lived in Indiana before. And I, you know, I know they say there's like no specific like right time to have a child, but I was one of those people who mapped everything out. And I was like, but this was the right time that I mapped out that made so much right. sense for us because we both had stable jobs that we loved. We lived within minutes of my childhood home. We were in this like suburban house with just neighbors and kids surrounding us. We were just like, yes, we got everything that we needed. And we, I immediately started charting and planning and doing all the different things. Like the stuff that I was looking up, like I remember looking up like pre-seed move and just different things like that. I'm, like, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna go in heavy on this. And we were fortunate enough to get pregnant and like fairly quickly as well too. And I remember just thinking like, oh my gosh, we are so lucky that it happened this way. And I imagine some people can relate to this, but immediately when we found out we were pregnant, my mind started just like going into like, dreaming and planning and like visioning thing of, okay, I'm going to be pregnant during the holidays. That's going to be so amazing with my like family all around me. And then we're going to have this baby. Let's think about names. And I think something that I always talk to clients about, and certainly was happening for myself is those weren't dreams that I just came up with a week ago when I found out I was pregnant. It was dreams I've been having for years and years. Like when, since I was a kid, I thought about what it would be like to be a parent. What would it be like to be pregnant as I got older? We saw that portrayed in so many things. So it's like, it just started to get cemented of like, oh, this is going to finally happen for us. And, you know, we went to the doctor and it was one of those things where we were going in early enough that they were like, you know, we're quite not sure. It's a little bit late. And already that, that seed of fear was in my belly of like, this doesn't feel right. Like I, I knew the dates, I knew all that kind of stuff. So if it's 
if they're saying it's tracking behind, I just felt like something was not right. And that became kind of the almost like merry-go-round of doctor's appointments for us. We were going almost like twice a week for about three weeks or so, which is just, as many people know, it's so exhausting and overwhelming during that time because you, it's, it's hard to know where to land. One day I'm hopeful and it's like my browser history would reflect that because I'm like looking up stories of like people who had these experiences and everything was okay. Other days I was trying to prep myself for the worst and I was looking up stories that reflected the exact opposites so that I could be just like, okay, prepared. Or I was planning a trip for once we found out the news, I didn't know how to find my footing because I just didn't know what the what was gonna happen next. All those dreams I was like cementing were just becoming hazy, really. I didn't know where to land. And finally, after quite a few weeks, we actually ended up switching doctors, which is something I would very much advocate for. If you have a doctor that you don't really feel like is giving you the clarity that you need or isn't responsive to your questions and things like that, for us, that was the best move to make at a time where I felt very out of control. I didn't get to decide what my future was going to be. I did get to decide what doctor I was going to go to. So we went to a different doctor and very quickly they ran some labs, had us do an ultrasound and confirmed that we were having a miscarriage. And I mean, I remember being completely just devastated and shocked and confused a little bit too, even, even though I had been Googling all these things, I knew all these things. I still had this idea of like, hey, but pregnancy equals baby, linear equation. There's nothing that happens in between that. So having that just be completely shattered was yeah it was just overwhelming and then it's like it goes to this overwhelming time has stopped moment to super speed where I'm in the doctor's office they tell me that and then they're listing okay and here are your options okay so you have this and you can do this you can do this I'm like the emotional whiplash of having to go from I just learned this news to and now I have to make the next steps about what's going to make sense for me my doctor was very kind they really walked me through it. And at the same time, it's, it's just not easy. No matter who you have in front of you, no matter who your support squad was, who mine was great. I just, it was an overwhelming thing to have to experience. And we went the DNC route. So we got that scheduled, but what I'll always remember is going home that night and sitting on our couch and looking through Amazon for a book to read, because that's very much me. If I feel lost in any kind of way, I'm like, I just need to Read about it, which is why what I was doing that whole month already, I was just reading about what could happen if I had a miscarriage, if I didn't have a miscarriage. And so now that I knew I was having a miscarriage, I wanted a book that told me like, how do I navigate this? What does life look like after this? And there were some beautiful books out there. I'm excited to see even more now keep coming out. But at that point, I couldn't quite find a book that really was what I was looking for. Like I wanted one that had a story in it, but also had a lot of clinical insights and ideas about where do I go? I need you to see me and both tell me, okay, I see you and this is what you should do now. And it was actually around that time that I started thinking like, I think I want to write something about this. I think I want to write my experiences here. And it was very much my lived experience went into what I was writing. So I started writing my books just based on when I went to the DNC, I wrote when I came back home, like what that experience was like. So it was very much fresh in my mind. And around that same time, my husband and I did what many people do, I think, after miscarriages. We wanted to get pregnant again and very quickly, just with the hope that if we did, this could be just like a sad footnote, sad footnote, really, in an otherwise very happy story of our life. But we did get pregnant again pretty quickly. And during that time, I kind of put my book on the back burner. I was like, now I'm just in like happiness of pregnancy, just going to focus on that, all this kind of stuff. And then we found out we were having another miscarriage. And I remember with, after that one, I was like, okay, we can't just keep pes- pressing fast forward here. We need to slow down. We need to pause and think about this. And that's really when my writing started taking off. I will remember the day before my second DNC writing before we were going to the hospital. One of my favorite sections in the book, essentially just like it was an argument for hope almost of, even though we had had the first miscarriage, I really let myself hope during the second pregnancy. I let myself keep visioning, keep dreaming, keep thinking about being pregnant during the holidays, which maybe at that point it was going to be the holidays. It was going to be something else, but even letting myself re-envisioning, it's not that, but maybe it can be this instead. And really writing that book was such a lifeline for me during that next year, because each of the pain, each of those chapters really came from 
something I was like, oh shit, I want to write about this. Like this is something of like there was a chapter about pretty much felt all the ugly emotions that I felt like I was having of like jealousy and like anger towards other people that I wrote fresh from coming to my best friend's dual baby shower. Then I was like, I'm gonna write a chapter about this. I'm there, but in my head, I'm imagining what I'm writing, which just felt so meaningful in a way of just taking all of this and like, let me just put it into words and maybe someone else out there is going to relate to that. And it was around that time too that there was like that pull to should we get back on the like the trying to conceive journey again? Should we do that? There was the recommendations from doctors to do fertility testing and all that kind of different stuff. But we ended up actually taking a pause for about a year and a half, two years or so, just because we we didn't really want to keep going. The, the options we were presented at that point were you can pursue IVF or more fertility testing. And I think there's something I always tell talk about with my clients too is such an investment doing these things and you should be the one who gets to choose you get to choose if you want to keep going if you choose that 100 support that but make sure that's your choice not this urge that someone is telling you that like, that's the next step in the process because similar to after my first miscarriage that's kind of what it felt like with my doctor is you're being told okay here's this and then you can go to the fertility doctor and then you can start your fertility treatments and everything else I'm like, but what if i what if i don't want to do that yet and for us that was our pausing place where I was like, we need to take time for ourselves and focus on other things. And that's when I ended up finishing the book and started having conversations like this, started uh, I think a year later, wrote the miscarriage map workbook and kept writing. And our fertility journey, it progressed later on that we maybe two years, no, two years ago now. Yes. Two years ago, we decided, okay, now we are ready. Now we're ready to start again. And we got pregnant. It was terrifying the whole time. I think that's the thing about pregnancy after miscarriage. It is a, for myself, I will say it was a very different experience where that, that experience of pregnancy that I had hoped with people, I'm glowing and I'm, everyone's around me during the holidays. First was the pandemic. So that didn't happen. And there was also this piece of like, I'm not really looking for that. Now I'm just looking for safety and grounding and calm and like, let us get through this right now. And we were really fortunate and happy to have my daughter who's two years old now. And I think what's so important to me is what happened to us hasn't gone away yet. Like we, we carry that with us. We will always carry that with us. My daughter's middle name is one of the names we had chosen for our miscarriage and for our baby. And that's a story we're going to tell her later when she gets older, but yeah, I think it's something that stays very much with me. And it's even in the book that I wrote, wrote most recently too, of so this book, Selfish. I, when I started writing it, I mean, it was a point I was thinking, I was like, oh, these are actually kind of really related. These two topics I'm talking about, this piece about things that as women or as birthing people, we don't talk about enough that are, there's stigma around it. There's taboo around it. We're not allowed to talk about miscarriage. We're not allowed to talk about being selfish and focusing on ourselves. And it's made me very passionate about, how much we can really allow that self-focus to be there in the fertility journey. There's so much we can do there. And I'm very much an advocate of it. So yeah, but that's the story. Yes. I, and okay. So I, I want to ask, because you mentioned starting to write the miscarriage map um, around the time of your first miscarriage, had you always been interested in writing or it was something that was a coping tool for you and maybe you didn't necessarily realize it in the minute, in the moment? Yeah, very much a coping tool. It was a, I think it started off with like journaling more. So like, I don't know when the idea, that the idea of I'm journaling transitioned to like, oh, I'm writing a book became. Yeah. I, it, it started being written in the format of a book, which is interesting. Because I do journal a lot, but there's something about, I was like, I'm just doing this right now. And oh, it's a chapter. Oh, here's another chapter. Yeah. And there's, it was just so much from like, oh, this is really hard. Oh, and this is really hard. This should be its own chapter. And so, yeah, it was, I never really thought I was going to be a writer, but there was something about it that felt like it was just like leaping out of me onto the pages in a way that I haven't had before. That's so interesting. Um, you mentioned this journey starting in 2018. Um, my husband and I started trying to conceive in 2017 and my first miscarriage was in 2018. Um, and I also looked and looked and looked for something and I found 
nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, the things that I found, it didn't have, maybe it was like independently published and didn't have a ton of reviews and I wasn't in the place just to spend money trying to find really what I was looking for. And I remember thinking like, I wish that there was something that walked me through what this was going to be like, like physically, emotionally, all of the things. And that's actually, um, I journal-ish write type things too. Um, but I've always been somebody who writes about how I'm feeling. And so I'm an mm-hmm. overshare. That's just my coping tool. <laughs> and um, I actually started blogging at that time. And I detailed my miscarriage and put it on a blog post. And that's how um, I really gained some, like, I guess, followers on on Instagram, which is what started me doing more advocacy work. Um, but it, it is, it's like, nobody tells you what to expect. And so then you go mm-hmm. through it but I, I like that you took such a long break. I didn't do that um, because I had such a pressure on myself to get pregnant again, ASAP. I thought that if I got pregnant again, I would be healed and I would forget about my miscarriages. And then whenever I was pregnant with my first son, I kept checking in with myself and I'm like, why do I still feel yeah. so sad, so traumatized? Yes. Like this whole thing was so hard. And then after he was born, that was almost heightened because then I had this little tiny human that I could look at and be like, that's what the babies I lost should look like. And it's just, nobody prepared me for the layer of grief that would happen throughout mothering a living child. Um, And I don't know if anybody can prepare you. It's like that thing that people can tell you about, but you don't know how this really affects your entire life. I think it's so true of like one, I don't know how someone prepares you. And two, I don't even know if there's any conversations where people are going to be preparing us in any kind of way. I feel like the messaging we get is like, I should be grateful. I should be happy. All this, like it's happened. I I need to focus on the present now when I feel like I'm drowning, where I'm here in new motherhood. And I'm also having to hold the grief and everything from the past. Like that is just so overwhelming. There's something about the relationship with each of those pregnancies in the past. I'm like, I had to fully mourn those before being able to move on to forming a new relationship again. But yeah, I don't, yeah, I feel like we don't talk about those things enough at all. It really, I got a lot of messaging of, why don't you guys keep, don't give up. Hey, don't give up. I'm like, I'm not. Oh my gosh, don't even get me started. And I know, okay, so let's then go into selfish. And I want to mention how it's written out. So it's self-ish. And so it's not necessarily just selfish, but it's about- all about yourself and all these different elements. So you do have a chapter and I bookmarked it because if it's almost like you're in my head and you listen to the things that I say in support groups, because I tell people all the time that there's no such thing as toxic positivity in any of my spaces. Um, I will never tell somebody, don't give up, don't lose hope. Like, I think that I like what you said about with your second pregnancy, you still allowed yourself to have hope, but it also doesn't erase that fear of like, am I being hopeful for something I'm not going to get? You know, I I like to tell people that hope and fear can coexist and being hopeful will not make loss hurt anymore. It really will. Yes. Yes. And and that was something with my second pregnancy, I did not allow myself to be hopeful. And it's Mm -hmm. a deep regret of mine because I didn't have that connection with that baby. Instead, I have a connection with that loss. And that was really hard. Um, So you do, you talk about toxic positivity and the toxic culture of positive affirmations. And I cannot tell you my distaste for positive thinking (laughs) in general. Um, I think it's very worthy to think negative from time to time, especially when bad things happen to you. So I love that there's a book that talks about that and that normalizes like, hey, you can think opposite of these positive affirmations. Um, But, you know, I, I like... Also in the book, whenever people go through it, you mention like different hashtags that you'll look up to see what society is talking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's interesting that you can see, like, if you look up, um, I don't know, I don't remember what the exact hashtag is, but like, I know if you look up the hashtag, like uh, positive vibes, you're going to see so much toxic positivity. Yes, and it's like, this yes. is something that comes across people's, you know, algorithms whenever they're struggling. And so then they think, oh, well, I can't lose hope or it's not going to happen for me. And it's just, oh, it's so not true. It's It's so not true. Yeah. It's so damaging. I completely agree. Whenever people bring that up, that piece of, I'm not supposed to think about negative things and I have to be thinking about positive things. First, there's a piece of what you mentioned of, 
we are so much more complex than that. You can feel two things, 10 things all at the same time. I do have to limit myself to like, I must be just positively thinking at all times is such an impossible standard. And we're also not supposed to live that way. There's a whole spectrum of emotion that we're supposed to be able to fluctuate around. There's even something about when people, you know, like negative thinking or the inner critic, but like there's a big cultural shift on like, let us like this shit on, is it okay to curse? Oh no, yeah, yeah okay, great. for it. <laughs> okay, great. Just like, let's just shit on our inner critic and all that. Right. It's like, I get that we don't like a lot about the negative thinking that might come from our inner critic and everything else. And at the same time, I think every part of you deserves to be heard. There is a message that is there. It doesn't mean you have to take it. It doesn't mean you have to listen to it, but it does mean that, can I imagine that maybe this part of me was created because it had some type of mission to help me protect me. And it definitely got distorted in there, but by ignoring it again and again, again, don't think we make it go away. I think it just comes out in a different way. Kind of like grief, like with each of these pieces, the moment we try to suppress something, it's just going to come out in some other point. So can we be curious about it? And then we right. get to decide, what do I want to actually pay attention to? What do I want to go with here? Yeah. And there's a time and a place for every emotion. Like if I, sometimes I talk to people and they're like, well, you know, my miscarriage was three months ago. I need to move on. And I'm like, no, no, you do not. Three months is not a long time. Uh, I'm sitting on five years and have two living children after my losses. And I still struggle with my grief. Yes. Like the, the thought that there's a time frame on any of this is I would, I would put that in the category of like, of toxic positivity in a way, because people tell you like, oh, well, you know, just buck up, be strong, keep yes. going. That's like, you can keep going and struggle at the same time. 100%. You can keep going and struggle at the same time. One of my friends, we were talking about this, that she and I both really bonded because we both went through our miscarriages around the same time. And then we got pregnant after that around the same time as well too. And even still, when we hear folks who share their pregnancy announcements or share an ultrasound, like there's a sting that is there. Mm -hmm. Even after like what we've experienced, it doesn't go away. I still have reminders. I still remember the dates and all that kind of stuff. And that's not going to go away. And I think being able to have someone she is very much someone who I've been able to be like, this fucking sucks. That's annoying. <laughs> and she's like, it does. She doesn't try to like change it. She just sits with me and we just like sit with that feeling. And then it, it, it goes away. It doesn't make me sit in a funk all day. I think there's something that's like a fear of like, if I, if I let myself sit with this emotion for a while, is it going to overwhelm me? Is it going to consume me in my days? It's going to be completely turned around. And I think if you're in the loving presence of someone else that it's not doesn't have to be the case even if that someone else is yourself yeah oh exactly um uh and it's funny okay so talking about selfish and I also want to read the rest of the title because I think okay, it's yeah. so funny <laughs> um so it's called selfish when bubble baths wine and positive affirmations aren't cutting it and it's just so funny because in any type of grief I've ever experienced in my life I've googled like how do I get through this yes <laughs> and every blog post will say take a bubble bath, pour yourself a glass of wine, <laughs> you know, write things on a post-it that make you think positive. And it's like, all of that stuff is a load of crap because I've <laughs> never had a bubble bath that I left and was like, I feel great. If anything, changed. Mm -hmm. it, well, it, if anything, like I've seen funny TikToks about how, if you take a bubble bath, sometimes you feel a little lightheaded afterwards. You don't it's feel true. physically well because it's too hot. Like it's just, it's just not a, a, as relaxing, uh, especially it doesn't fix anything. Mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes whenever I talk with people about like, well, what can we put in your coping toolbox? I tell them to schedule time out of their day to think negatively, like to get those thoughts yes. out loud and not to be afraid to talk to yourself. Like, I think that there's just so many stigmas around so many things like, um, you know, growing up, if somebody were to speak to themselves or something, you would think, oh, that person is crazy, you right, know, right. but some people, they don't have other people to talk mm -hmm. about these things out loud with, and they yep. only have themselves. Or maybe they're trying to work on that inner critic, that inner voice. Mm -hmm. And talking to yourself is really helpful. That's something in my own trauma journey that talking myself through a traumatic trigger is the only way I've been able to get out of it. Yes. And nobody really talks about that. Like you have to, I don't know, you have to be like on the same level as yourself before yes. you can really rely on other people. And it's just so hard to understand that. I completely agree. And I love really everything you just said. I 
there's something about first of all the bathtub thing is actually very validating because I don't ever feel physically good after a bath I'm like god never my head hurts it's so hot I'm sweating how do people do this (laughs) and I think the challenge there's a couple of challenges with some of those things like whether it's a bath or like wine or getting your nails done or even things that I know are helpful and journaling things like that because it puts this expectation, okay, I did all those things. So why aren't I better? Is there something wrong with me? I must be truly broken if all these things that social media or other people talk about isn't fixing me in some way. And I think part of the challenge is those things, they're not anchored to something, right? It's like, I love the technique that you're talking about. Okay, set aside, set some time aside to let your negative thinking be there and speak out loud to it. It's likely anchored to I do this already. So I need to have a space and like an outlet for it. So let me do it versus what, what is a bathtub anchored to? Maybe if I have like physical pain and I need my like muscles to be loosened, maybe it's that, but yeah. there's something about if I don't have this anchored to like a specific domain of self-care that's important to me or my values or anything else, it may not land. And then it may just contribute to why can't I get better? Even though I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to be doing right now. Yeah, no, that's a really great point. I, I do think that, um, and I've been guilty of this, of like, whenever my therapist has told me to journal, I think, okay, so I have to journal every day. And then like, when is it going to work? But you don't have to do one of these things every day. Like yes. you can change it up and find what works for you. Um, and I, I like, so there's a lot of really great advice in your book. And I like uh, that you talk about the ugly emotions. Um, I think that the act of caring for yourself above other people is something that is, mm. it feels controversial um, because I feel like we, again, are raised to think, no, you have to, you have to put other people before yourself because you don't want to be selfish. Yeah. Um, but I've learned as an adult, because of my fertility journey, I had to put myself first. I mm-hmm. had to skip a baby shower if that was going to be triggering for me. And so I had to put my comfort above somebody else's. But it's also like, if you don't put yourself first, I mean, who else is going to exactly. care for these things? And so it's so silly to me now thinking of not caring for yourself before you care for other people, um, you know, doing things that benefit your life. And it's, it, I think you say it in the book, of course, there are things, there are selfish choices that we should not make. And there are things that can be harmful to other people. Mm-hmm. And we don't do those things. But like, if it's about taking a mental health day versus going to a party, yes. take the mental health day. You 100%. Know? That's not hurting anybody. <laughs> it's really not. And there's something about, you know, even as you're just describing this, like during that time of whether it's loss or just the fertility journey of how important it is to allow yourself to be selfish. That just feels so very vital because one, like no one else is going to know what you need in the way that you need. Like, I may not even know what I need until it's the day when I'm like, oh shit, I cannot go to that baby shower because it's going to like, just completely push me to the edge. So I have to make that choice. And that's one of the things I write about in the book is pairing selfish with self-leadership of, I have to be the person taking care of me. I definitely have loving people around me, but they're not going to know all my needs. I have to be the person who's going to make that judgment. And there's something I feel really passionate about, about letting yourself be selfish when it comes to taking care of your body too. I think there's so much about fertility that gets questioned, that gets our control over our body is being questioned. There's just so much in that. That's like anything that I can say, that's going to be like, this is my choice. I get to decide this. No one else gets to tell me. I am very, very much passionate for that of even part of what made me want to include that chapter in it is part of my fertility journey is when we first were deciding to have kids, you know, I've heard comments before, of like it's selfish to have children. That's a comment I've heard before. When we decided we weren't going to potentially have kids, we took that two year pause, Right. getting comments from folks of like, oh my God, that's so selfish though, to deprive your like parents from being grandparents or like, cause I'm just like, Oh, damn. Like, you oh my God. If somebody win. were to say that to me, <laughs> I would absolutely lose it on them. That's so crazy. It's bananas. And even, you know, now, so we have my daughter and we've decided we're not going to have any other children. We want to have just my daughter and we love it. But even that of getting the, the response of like, that's so selfish. You're only going to have one child. And that's what I was like, oh, we truly, no matter what fertility choice I'm making, I am being told that's selfish. That's a push. And that's when, and I both wrote this in the book of, I used to try to use the concept selfful instead of selfish, because like, is that more palatable? Will people be less upset with me if I say that versus then, no, I'm just making a selfish choice that I 
which means I'm just acknowledging I have a self to actually take care of right now. Yeah. And that very much is what I am in favor of. And I think there is a way you can do that is that is still pro-social. Like you mentioned, there's choices that I'm not going to make that are going to be like maliciously harming someone else. But I think ways you can involve other people in this is first, even just telling them like, hey, I'm trying to work on making choices that are more focused on taking care of myself. If it feels like it's really out of alignment or hitting up against something, let me know. I'm open to feedback. I think we have a fear of if I'm going to do this, am I just going to like fuck up all my relationships or people going to be really upset with me and just let them in, let them in on knowing what you're trying to do right now. Yeah. And, and that's a really big theme in, um, in like everybody's fertility journey where mm-hmm. it's any decision that you have to make, if you make any choice whatsoever, they're going to judge you for not making yes. the other choice. Yeah. Um, you know, it's always something like, oh, when are you getting married? Oh, when are you having kids? When are you going to have another kid? Um, you know, if you have two boys, they're like, are you going to try and have a girl? Like, <laughs> yep. it's just, it is never ending. And it's so frustrating because it does, it, it's all a common theme of not having control over your own life or feeling yes. like you don't have control over your own life. I mean, even just like having to get medical care after recurrent pregnancy loss, you are given these options. You can go see another doctor, mm-hmm. but it's like, a lot of people struggle with not feeling heard, but they also don't know what to advocate for and we're not properly educated. So then we already feel like we don't have any yes. like control over our bodies. Um, and then you go through loss and it's like, you're talking about the options. There's not a single one of those options better than the other. Mm-mm. They all are pretty terrible. Yes. Um, and the way they're presented to us are nonchalantly, not like a big deal, kind of like, oh, you'll go through this and it will be fine. And then you'll get mm-hmm. pregnant again and everything will be better. And so it is, it, it, nobody is like, how are you feeling? What can we right. do to make you feel safer? You know, putting you first, nobody does that. So you yes. have to do it for yourself. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, sometimes in our support groups, people will share where they did something like that with a friend um, where they were like, hey, I can't hear about your pregnancy. It's very triggering. I'm struggling. Um, and that friend is mad and I'm on, like, I I see it from so many angles of like the person struggling has every right to tell a friend that she can't take on what, what her friend is experiencing right now. Like we have to take care of ourselves. The friend also has the right to be upset that they can't share things with their, with their best friend. But it is ultimately like, if I were the pregnant friend, I would think, well, my friend's mental well-being is more important than me sharing my pregnancy with her. Yes. And so it is interesting how you learn so much about the people in your life whenever you do become a little selfish and rightfully so. Um, so I just wish it was like so normalized to put yourself first. Like that's not yeah. a lot to ask for. I completely agree. And I think you're right. I think you do learn something about the people in your life when you try to make those more selfish moves of what is it what does it hit up against are some people I imagine they will be some people are really supportive they're like hell yes go you like keep doing that some people may find it potentially threatening something I talk about in therapy a lot is whenever you try to make any kind of significant choices in a system you're disrupting the homeostasis of that system and in a lot of ways people are going to try to resist that to put it right back to stability again that doesn't mean they're ultimately going to be against it it may mean that you're going to have to have another conversation again, which really sucks because having one hard conversation is the worst. Yeah. Unfortunately, I imagine more times than not, hard conversations have to get repeated again and again until the message really sinks in. But I think it's true. People, they have a reaction to it. For some, it's liberating. For some, it's very much confronting. Hello, that's not the way you're supposed to be. And if you do that, what does it mean about me? Does right. this mean I have to take on yours? Is that, yeah, a lot wrapped up in there. Yeah. Or, you know, it's like talking about how uh, with, oh, it's so selfish not to give your parents grandkids. It's like people will take that on of like, you're doing this to me when it's something directly happening to you instead. And so it it is, it's super interesting. Um, Now, whenever you wrote this book, because there is, so there are like exercises and prompts. Did you take the idea of the miscarriage map and then following it up with a workbook to kind of do it all in one with this book? Was that a thought that you had whenever you were writing it? Mm. Or did that just kind of happen without thinking? <laughs> I'm really like, oh, very thoughtful when I'm going through this. Yeah, I think it kind of just, it happened where I was like, oh, here's this idea. And then I want to flesh it out into an exercise. Because I think that's the piece with so much of this, right? Like, 
I want to be able to give some like framework and some ideas, but like, I really want to give you the person the space to figure out what does this look like for me though? Let me get really specific here. So there was something about, I couldn't make this book be too just content heavy. It had to have exercises because I want people to take away their own conclusions, their own ideas on how this works in their life. Because it's going to be so different and you based on what are my resources? What are my constraints? What's the reality that I'm living right now? And it it's on theme because you're talking about, you know, selfishness and, and the things that we need to do for ourselves. And so you're giving people the ability while reading your book to think about themselves and to put themselves forward and to do these exercises. Um, so I feel like it's uh, so great. Um, one thing that you touch on is... Um, is the ugly emotions. And so you talked about that a little bit early on, um, but also kind of throughout your book, like a big theme is like, you, you see a lot of these words of things that maybe we think, but like jealousy, or, mm. you know, if we're not feeling so great about something and feeling negative, um, that's another big one that I think in the fertility world, like we see being jealous as a bad thing when I see it personally and professionally, I guess, as like, somebody has something that you don't have that you should have that you want so badly why wouldn't you be jealous of that person right right I I don't know how you turn off jealousy I have never been able to do it and so I feel like I embraced it after my second miscarriage because I was like of course I'm jealous yes yes and just like kind of owned it um and so it's so interesting I just I I love that you have it all laid out of all these thoughts and feelings that people who don't relate to positive affirmations, mm-hmm. um, it's really validating. I'm so glad. And I love your take on jealousy. I think that's so true of, if I'm jealous of something, I'm going to own that. And what can I learn from that? That I imagine, oh, there's something in there that I want. And maybe there's pieces of that that I don't want, but let me get really clearer. I'm like, I want those things. So how can I make them happen in my life? Or how can I agree that they're not happening in my life the way that I had planned, expected, hoped they were going to? I continue to be a little jealous, sometimes a lot jealous of my two best friends whose we were all pregnant around the same time when I went to their baby shower. And then I'd had my miscarriage and their kids are now here and mm-hmm. you know they're older, they're the same age. I still have that jealousy of like, oh, your kids are the same age. And that's not the case for me. And that's never gonna be the case for me. And I just let that jealousy be there. And because of that, there was a time where I was like, oh, I'm so ashamed. I should be so happy for them. And it just felt like such a, like a pit that when I was around them, I felt I couldn't engage with them because I was so afraid of them seeing this like ugly emotion that was inside of me. But then by sharing that with them, particularly before I wrote about it, I, it just made it easier to be able to talk about that with them, that it was just something in the room and even allowed them to share some things too. I think that's something that's something about these emotions, whether I'm sharing something about my miscarriage and it opens you to say something about something you've experienced, whether it's miscarriage or not, everyone feels this in some degree. And it can be so permission giving of like, oh, we're talking about this right now. Yeah. yeah. Especially because generations before us talked about nothing. Yes. They shoved everything <laughs> deep down. <laughs> and a lot of us yes. are in therapy because our parents' generation did that. Um, and so I think it's so powerful to talk about everything, ex- like not even, and on social media, I'll see some people share that they hate long captions, that they hate people sharing in real time when bad things are happening to them. When I am on the side of that is so comforting to me to see people share real life experiences, Mm -hmm. real raw emotions, and to be so open to sharing their hardest days. Like to me, that is very helpful in my life. And so I think it, of course, we could even dig deeper into that into like what other types of grief we all experience and why we can relate to those things. But it is so interesting that some people just want to focus on the positive and they are so afraid to sit in the negative. Mm -hmm. And I don't get that. You know, that's definitely a theme that comes up in quite a lot of my sessions of just this desire to, particularly when people come in, they're like, I just need to be more positive thinking and everything else. I'm like, oh, morning signs that we've got stuff to explore here of whether it was, like you mentioned, very much the message from whether it was my parents, my family system, the community that I was a part of, of like, there is something wrong with you. If you are upset or sad, you must be happy at all times. Mm-hmm. So I am bad if I'm letting myself feel scared much. Or maybe even then, if I got that message, I don't know how to handle them. Then no one ever taught me how to handle that. So if I let right. a little bit of that 
it's like tap open. Is it going to overwhelm me right now? That's really terrifying. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is. Um, okay. One, one question I have yes. for you because I want to link, so I'm going to link to your book in the description. Um, and so for anybody who picks up and reads it, is there a chapter in this book that was your favorite to write that you, that kind of stands out to you? Okay. You can take a second and think of it. No. That's okay. <laughs> There's probably like a couple. There's probably a couple. I'll say my okay. first, my favorite one was probably the self-love one. Just yeah. because kind of already went on my soapbox about this earlier, but I'll reemphasize it. I really love this idea as in the self-love, I talk about this concept of self-love means loving all the different parts of mm. you, including the parts of you that piss you off the most, whether it is like my inner critic or that part of me that's really nervous or the part of me that, I don't know, doesn't get it right all the time or something. Or even my perfectionistic part that I'm trying to get rid of. There's something I always find so painful when people try to extract like parts of themselves and decide like you are the bad parts and you are the good ones and being able to be that person is like all the parts of you are amazing all of them have some function that are there it doesn't mean that whatever they do is easy and amazing and nice and all that kind of different stuff there's likely distortions that have occurred along the way but I love that first chapter because it's getting you to really look at what's the part of you that's hardest to love and what would it be like to rather than talk forcefully to it, try to convince it to go away, be curious about it. I'm like, why did it develop? I know, like speaking for myself, like I, that critical part of me, as I described before, it came from like a desire to protect me. Of, I need to look out for her. If she doesn't get everything right all the time, then she's going to get in trouble. Her parents are going to look at her differently. Teachers are going to look at her differently. People are going to look at her differently. And I think being able to understand that and let that part of me know of like, I know you were so scared, but I'm an adult now and I, yeah. I can take care of you. That's my responsibility here. That's the self-leadership part. Yeah, I just, I really love that part. I think that's the piece that I would want everyone to focus on of like, can you find that part of you and can, rather than trying to get rid of it, bash it, you just give it some love. Cause I, I think it's, it's beautiful. Whatever that part of you is, I'm already convinced it is. I love that. That gives me a lot of things personally to reflect on because I have very little self-love, but it is something I actively work on in therapy. Um, but it is it is hard to not like certain things about yourself. Um, and, and, you know, this I'm, like I'm telling you, even though this book is not directly about pregnancy loss, so many of the topics relate to it because then you experience loss. And for me, like my self-love got even worse. Yes, it, yes. I, I loved myself even less. And then I started to feel like I'm unworthy of being a mother. Mm -hmm. And that is a really ugly emotion. And, but it is something that we have to dig into. And we're like, well, why do we feel this way? And then say, no, you know, yes. these things that make you being anxious, being nervous, that will make you a more careful mother. It will make mm -hmm. you a more attentive mother and kind of focusing on that. So I really love the idea of that because I'm I'm very critical of myself, not yeah. in a perfectionist way. I kind of like, <laughs> I can't even relate to the perfectionist way because I'm a mess, but um, it is, it is interesting. And I share a lot on this podcast um, that I have OCD and that is something I've had to really love. Like I've had mm -hmm. to learn to love about myself and appreciate that that's the way my brain works. And so it's almost getting to know like a different side of my brain and like oh, yeah. giving myself some grace whenever I have flare ups of like freaking out over different things um and so in, in that way I definitely relate to the self-love yeah oh even just the phrasing you just use of like getting to know that part of like that I get to know this person like I have to have to force myself or something like that of something about that just feels so important and it's reminding me too of you know there's a section in that self-love part where talking about what are the conditions that I've decided are true when it comes to loving myself you know we talk about unconditional love to others. Maybe we can do that with other people in our life, whether it's my partner, my child, my parents, friends, all that kind of different stuff. But we likely have some conditions in place for when do I get to be loved by myself? And I think for women in particular, there's quite a lot of conditions we get about what makes me lovable. You know, I have a, I also think I like the section because I was feeling particularly sarcastic that day. I wrote like a job description for like a woman, essentially. Yes, really, that was so good. It was really <laughs> I good. I really enjoyed that one. I think that was after something annoying happened. I can't remember now, but I wrote that description essentially talking about like, in order to be a woman hired in any kind of role, you have to be this very peaceful, loving, nurturer of all, highly, highly efficient and skilled in everything else too, and have 
you know, the perfect life of 2.5 kids, but somehow you're doing it all seamlessly without a care in the world. And mm-hmm. all of those conditions that I carry in order to love myself and being able to actually look at each of those and essentially add the ones that are true for you, take out the ones that aren't. I was like, do I want to sign up for this? Is this working for me right now? Particularly, is this working for me at this point of my life, whether it's in my fertility journey or something else? Yeah. No, that's, and I, I'm sure that I can even imagine the headspace you're in whenever you wrote that, because <laughs> I get into that headspace. Uh, it was so random. Like my husband and I were talking about music and I was like, oh, you have to watch Taylor Swift's The Man music video. Came out a couple of years ago, but I knew mm-hmm. he hadn't seen it. And so we watched it and I'm like watching him the whole time because the whole movie is pointing out how a man is viewed so differently than a woman doing the same thing. And um, we definitely butted heads over like how passionate I got about that because it's very similar to your job description of like, there's just so much that is expected as a woman for you to handle and not show that you're handling it. I mean, even from struggling with menstrual periods that are painful, Um, you can't even talk about your period without Mm -hmm. people being uncomfortable Mm -hmm. and then going on to wanting to grow your family. I remember feeling embarrassed that I wanted to be a mom. Like I didn't want anybody at work to know that I had, like, I I think I used my work computer to Google something about being pregnant. Like if like symptoms of early pregnancy, and I remember freaking out and trying to delete the the history so fast because the thought of somebody knowing I Googled that was so embarrassing to me. And now I look back and I just like, wish I could shake that version of myself because that's so not embarrassing. That is, you know, anybody is able to want to be a mom and that doesn't make them less of an employee. It doesn't make them less of a person just the same as if somebody didn't want to have kids. Exactly. It doesn't make yes. them any less of a human being or any less, you know, um, important in their struggle in life. And if we just had a little bit more empathy for people, like knowing that they go through hardships, knowing that it's hard. Um, I don't know. The world would be a better place. I completely agree with you there. If we could have a little bit more empathy tie that with a little bit more selfish moves that we make towards ourselves. of yeah like I think about some of the stuff that I did during my after my miscarriages that in the past during that time I felt it was really hard to love myself during that time because I had these conditions that in order to be a lovable person I had to show me pleasant and agreeable and happy and all that kind of stuff and I did not feel any of those things during that time right and I remember showing up to team meetings and being just like not that version of myself I usually am. I was kind of like withdrawn, not really smiling, not joining in with people. I mean, like, God, I'm such a buzzkill right now. And at that point, I didn't really have the language for it then, but there's a piece of that that was like, oh, that's just me focusing on myself right now. That's me allowing my, to take care of me right now. I was like, I need to be able to just show up as I am, not force myself to be anything else. And that made it hard for me to love myself because I had that condition in place. And I think that's the kind of thing I would encourage people to do too, is let yourself show up exactly as you are. Let yourself be five minutes late to a meeting just so you can eat ahead of time because you know you are, if you already feel shitty and it's like, I don't want to be hungry and feel like this at the same time. Can I take these even small but impactful selfish moves to just focus on me a little bit more right now? Yeah. Gosh, I feel like uh, you must know my therapist because my therapist is like, Arden, you have to eat breakfast. It's very important. It's so important. Like, Arden, you have to take showers and you can't put it off just because you have a long to-do list. And it's like all of these things, she's like, those things are non-negotiable in life. Like you have to take care of yourself. Um, And so I hear her voice very strongly and nicely yelling at me that uh, the same (laughs) things, but it is, it's, it's so hard to do those things. Like um, you know, talking about work after miscarriage is such, is such a big thing too, because you are distracted. Mm-hmm. And um, in my job at the time, uh, I had very supportive bosses and coworkers, but later on it was used against me that mm-hmm. I was different and that my personality seemed a little off. Yeah. Um, and I'm just sitting there thinking like, no shit. Like I lost two babies, went through physically traumatic births. Like I just, of course I'm different. And, and I wish that somebody would have, instead of judging that been like, how can we help you? Right. Right. It's, it's so bizarre, but you know, pregnancy loss changes so many aspects of who we are as people. And, you know, we might 
gain some of those things back or they might change for the better. Um, but there are pieces that we definitely lose and need to work on, but we can't do that unless we actively put ourselves first in that grieving process. Yes, for sure. I just keep thinking about you mentioned like, oh, something seems off. It's like, yeah, you are correct. Something is up. Wouldn't that be a nice warning signal? Something seems up. Can I support? Here, here's two weeks of bereavement leave <laughs> yes. at the very least. <laughs> at the very least, yes. Yeah, I, gosh. I mean, it's just, um, we're so we're so broken as a society in so many ways that we're having to do this work and we're having to seek nice. out this extra help in bettering ourselves. And then maybe we'll tell somebody about this great book and they'll read it and then they'll better themselves. And so it's mm -hmm. like, as humans, nobody is really helping us. We're having to help ourselves find it and figure it out, which is really hard. Um, but ugh. I, um, so I'm going to put a link to the book in the show description. Um, I, I know, so you are, uh, are you a therapist in I your, okay. Yes. Do you work with people virtually or you work with people only in certain States? Virtually and in person. Okay. And in different, so in Texas, I'm in Houston, Texas, and in a few different States as well, too. We have this thing called SIPACT that came out recently for psychologists where we can work with folks who are in some different States, not all the movement. I think the way it's directed is soon it's going to be more and more States, but oh, cool. short answer is a good amount of States. Yes. So can people work with you? If Yes. Okay. That's yes. cool. Um, I'm always asked um, for therapist recommendations in different States that have knowledge around pregnancy loss and are empathetic and even have personal experience. And so yeah. I just wanted to make sure to ask. Um, so I will link to your uh, website and everything too, just in case anybody wants to look into that. Um, and it, your book is already out, right? Or I didn't know if I received a copy. Yes. Okay. Just it wanted to make sure. Last a week and a half ago. Week and okay. Half ago. Yes. Well I bet that's so exciting to be like at, in that phase of it being released. Um, that's awesome. So I am going to link to the book. Is there any other way for people to connect with you or any um, social media that you want to plug? Sure. Yeah. My Instagram is dr.sanita Osborne. Okay. Simple. That? Yes. Awesome. I'll link to all of that. Well, Sunita, thank you so much for joining in on the conversation and for reaching back out. I'm so glad that you did. Um, it's been an honor to, to hear your story and then to get to read this book. Um, definitely going to be recommended in my groups because this is literally what we talk about. <laughs> so it's perfect. Uh, thanks so much. And thank you for not remembering me as girl who canceled on you like a year ago and instead in a different way. Yeah.